everybody, good morning. We're going to turn to 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, chapter 3. We'll look at verses 6 through 13 this morning. 2nd Thessalonians, chapter 3. And uh, Michelle, is this your sister with us this morning? Welcome, welcome, good to have you. All right, we're going to be looking at the, um, this uh, biblical doctrine of separation, how to deal with uh, sin in the church, but the particular sin of laziness and freeloading. And, and really, it's something very applicable in our day. It's something to which all of us are prone. Uh, the flesh is lazy and likes to take advantage, so we'll get some practical lessons from this this morning. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day. We might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to take away uh, this morning these lessons that you have for us. Certainly, Lord, all of us are prone to laziness. We're prone, Lord, to take advantage. It's easy to do in the flesh. And any of us could find ourselves here uh, in this position that the Thessalonian believers were in. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to just point fingers at uh, the society where all this is so prevalent, but to take an inward look, an inward reflection to see that if perhaps there is this uh, in us uh, to any degree. And uh, Lord, we ask, uh, ask you to help us deal with that in a biblical way individually, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we see the exhortation to the Thessalonians. He says in verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word command is the idea of passing down an order from a higher superior to a lesser one. And so this is not something that Paul is conjuring up and something he, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. This is not man's idea. This idea of uh, hard work, this idea of separation, that Lord, if the Lord tarries, we'll look at more next week, is a biblical doctrine. It's sometimes difficult to receive and even dif more difficult to practice. Church discipline, separation, these aren't fun things. These are the things we tend to draw away from, things that are uh, definitely put down in our seeker-friendly society because they don't attract people. And uh, in some cases, they drive people away. But this is a biblical doctrine that we're about to look at and it's something that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, so we ought to sit up and take heed. And Paul makes that point very clear as he opens up this lesson. Um, he says that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So right out of the gate, we are faced with the principle, and I'm not going to delve into this too deeply, because next lesson being the last one, we will deal in, uh, to a great degree with the idea of the biblical doctrine of separation. But right out of the gate, we're faced with the reality that sometimes you and I have to withdraw from those who are walking 
disorderly, not according to the word of God. Okay. Uh, now, this is not just a this is not a command to withdraw from everyone who's struggling, or from anyone who's growing, or we would not have any fellowship with each other whatsoever, because all of us are in that condition. Okay. But this is the idea of withdrawing from someone. Uh, in other passages, we find church discipline being uh, affected. This is the idea of that because someone is continuously disobeying the scriptures. This isn't just, well, somebody messed up, you had to talk with them, they realized they were doing wrong. No, this is the idea of they will not listen. Uh, what did Paul already warn the Thessalonians of in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11? He said that with quietness you work and eat your own bread, right? So he's already warned them about this. Don't sit back because you think the tribulation is here, because you think the uh, return of Christ, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, Christ isn't coming back at any moment, the tribulation's here, or we might as well just, you know, hang up our hats, in no sense working, because Christ is returning. He said, I've already told you that's not the case. I've already told you to work with quietness, be responsible, but they're not listening, so he's taking it to the next level. And when we talk about the doctrine of separation, it's not the idea of somebody messed up once or twice and you had to talk with them and you're working with a person. It's the idea of they won't listen. You have tried. This is an open matter and it needs to be dealt with. When someone is ill, what do you do with that person? Let's say they have a serious disease. You do two things. You likely quarantine that person. Why? Because you are concerned about infection, right? You don't want that disease to spread to other people. So it's the idea of not only are you worried about the person who is ill, but you are concerned about others not getting sick. Okay, that's the idea of separation when it comes to sin. You don't want others to get sick spiritually, okay, or to fall into the same sin. Then once you put the person in quarantine, you treat them. You don't just lock them away in a room and say, I hope you make it. Okay, and that's what sometimes happens in separation. We withdraw. We do the church discipline, and then we're, well, I hope you make it. No, we're supposed to deal with that individual. The pastor, the deacons, perhaps a close friend. Yeah, we're supposed to withdraw as a church and not have fellowship, and, you know, I'm not going to have you over for a barbecue, or you shouldn't have me over for a barbecue if I'm in sin and just act like nothing's wrong. But there's the idea of working with the person and trying to restore, because restoration is the ultimate goal, right? Christ, his ultimate goal for us is restoration, not just, you're too wicked for me, get out of my face. Right? So those are the two things. Purity and restoration are the goals of separation. We'll look at those things in greater detail. But he commands each individual. He says, brethren, if separation and dealing with sin in the church is not individually accepted and, and how do I say this, if we are not individually grabbing onto and owning this doctrine, corporately it will not happen. Well, why does separation not really exist in many churches today? You know, let's just pick on our camp. Separation in fundamental Baptist churches isn't common today. Uh, church discipline is even less common. Okay. Why is that? Well, because individually people don't own it. It can't just be something the pastor gets up and preaches on. Because alone he will fail. Because the church isn't just him. It isn't just a few leaders. It's a body of believers. And so if it's not accepted by every believer and owned, at least by the majority, it's not going to happen corporately. And so you and I have to take these things and apply them personally and grab onto these doctrines that we're looking at. And like I said, we'll talk about separation more next week. It's a, a, a touchy and, and important subject that I don't want to just uh, blow over. 
So we see the uh, exhortation to the Thessalonians. says, I want you to withdraw yourself. Hey, not just uh, continue like nothing's wrong and, well, I can't, I can't withdraw from you because you're my relative or you're my close friend. He doesn't care about any of that. He says there's people doing wrong and it needs to be dealt with. And that's an easy pill. That's a hard pill to swallow because this really rubber meets the road when this is talking about close friends or family in a church. How many churches have been torn apart, split, or gone into sin because a pastor will not deal, or the individual people will not deal with something because the deacons, my relatives, my daddy's brothers, cousins, uncle, or whatever happens all the time. If I had a penny for every believer I knew who dealt with this, struggled with this in a church, ran into an issue where they couldn't get sin resolved because people weren't willing to deal with it, I'd be a millionaire. And I'm sure many of you have seen it as well. So we see the exhortation to the Thessalonians that there is the problem and they have a responsibility to deal with it by separation to purity. And this isn't just, uh, we're not gauging people by our standards or something we think they should be doing. He says, not according to the tradition which ye received of us, which we could call the word of God, because at this point the canon hadn't been completed. But the tradition is basically the word of God that he's talking about here. That's the standard. So if I'm not doing right and won't be rebuked by the scriptures, and you are dealing with me, and I will not listen, and I'm doing something contrary to the commandments and principles of the word of God, then you are to withdraw from me and deal with me as a heathen man and a publican, Christ said in Matthew chapter 18. So, there's that reality right out of the gate. Next, we see the example of the missionaries. He says, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. The missionaries were confident in their example. <laughs> I am not going to be successful in separation or church discipline or any other Bible doctrine if I'm not an example. I'm not. And so I cannot ask you to do something I'm not doing. And I cannot, I have to, you know, the, the illustration has been given my bookmark, right, my bookmark does a lot better if I pull the end and go this way. But if I try to get back here and push it, now this isn't a good example, it's a little too thick. But if you were to grab a string on the tail end and push it, it just crumples up. If you grab a string on the front end and pull it, it follows very nicely. That's how leadership works, okay? If you're out in front, being the example, people will tend to follow. If you want people to do something, you see a problem. Let's just put it right where it is. Let's see, there, you know, we see something in one another in the church and we'd like it to change. The best thing we can do is pray and be the example of that change. That's really the best thing we can do. Not that words will never be necessary. Of course they will. But man alive, don't you love a good example? I sure do, you know? And when uh, a pastor like sees, like, maybe he would like to see more love in the church when he's more loving. <laughs> No, that is a, an encouragement to me. And so they were confident in their example. It's impossible for me to ask you to do something that I'm not doing. Uh, look at verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. The missionaries were not hypocrites. Uh, they were not asking these folks to do something that they were not willing to to do themselves. Boy, that happens a lot in church. A lot in church. It's disturbing how much this happens. 
where uh, we'll get up and we'll preach on something and we'll preach on purity we'll preach on not having a dirty mouth whatever the case is and then we'll get on Facebook or social media and we'll say things that ought never be said we'll post memes with foul language or just I mean the list goes on the list goes on and we'll use four-letter words or whatever the, or use euphemisms and change things just enough to say well it's, a, it's just Christian cursing is all it is I've been guilty of it I've been guilty of it have you been guilty of it and so there's this idea of, hey, look, we cannot be a, I mean, people are going to pick up on what we do, right? Look at children. Why do many children disrespect their parents? Because they know there's hypocrisy in the parent. It's like, you're asking me to do what, and you won't even do it? And they wouldn't phrase it like that. But that's what their little minds are reasoning, and rightly so. And so uh, it, it's no different in adults, right? It's no different. I don't want to be a, have a boss um, tell me to get a job done on a tractor in a certain amount of time when he could not do it and would not do it himself. And I've had bosses like that. And so we have to be that example. And folks, this doesn't apply just to an old elderly person. This applies to everyone in this room from the youngest to the oldest. That everyone is to be, not be a hypocrite and to be an example. And so they were not uh, hypocrites. And we could go back and we could visit passages where we find Paul working as a tent maker and we find other missionaries laboring uh, continuously. They were hard workers. I said, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Uh, hard work is something that is becoming less and less of a reality in our society. Less and less. I heard the other day, eight million jobs are available in the United States, but they cannot be filled or because people are too lazy. They're making too much money on unemployment. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and throw this out there right now, whether it makes enemies or not. I'm certainly not trying to, but it is what it is. Uh, unemployment welfare is completely an unbiblical concept, completely. And it ought not exist in our country. Now, with that said, if you've ever done unemployment, and I know people in this room have, I'm not saying you're not right with God and that you're in sin. There, uh, there is a way to, the system shouldn't be there. That's non-negotiable. But if it is there, there's a proper and an improper way to use it. I'm going to embarrass Charlie for a minute because I know I appreciated what he did this, with this last year. He used it correctly. Lost his job at Love's. Uh, applied for unemployment. And then feverishly searched for a job. And uh, in two, was it two weeks he had one, I think? Two weeks, right? That's the right way to use unemployment. Okay? Uh, the wrong way would be, well, you know, uh, and I heard this uh, example recently. Well, I got fired. You know, I, I can draw unemployment because I got fired. I'm just going to take a couple of months and enjoy the kids. Okay? Not really the idea there. Okay? And that was from a Christian individual who should definitely know better. Um, that's not the plan. That's not how it's supposed to work. System shouldn't even be there, period. You should not have your paycheck robbed because I lost my job. Okay? Because most of the time when I lose my job, it's from me being stupid. Okay? Um, but it's not your fault that I lost my job. And I should not have money stolen from my paycheck, because that's what it is, and given to you because you lost your job. Okay? What should happen is that the Spirit of God should move in my heart. And I hear that, say, um, Travis loses his job. And the Spirit of God encourages me to go drop four or five bags of groceries off on Travis's door and to tell him I'm praying for him and to keep my eyes on Travis to look for any needs that may arise. Not to promote laziness, but to promote 
Christian love and help until he can get back on his feet and vice versa. That's how it's supposed to work. Uh, you look at the Old Testament economy. God said the poor will never diminish from among you. And most in generally speaking, though he did say there would be times when there would be no poor, then you don't have to do these things. But he made provision to care for people. He didn't have a welfare system. The provision was don't charge your brother interest. Don't ask for his pledge back. Don't take his pledge when you have a right to take it because he hasn't paid you back. And at the end of the day, if all else fails and he can't pay you back, maybe it's better to just forgive the debt. Okay, those were things God had placed in the society to help people. But a welfare, the American welfare system, is of the devil. And it should not exist. And unemployment should not exist. And any other means of a handout should not exist. Now, that is a controversial statement. I'm totally willing to accept the consequences. I understand the reality of that. But prove to me from the scriptures that it's biblical and I'll change my mind. Now, there is the thing that is biblical is charity, self-sacrifice, and a willingness to reach out and help others. That is always authorized. That is always authorized. But like I said, if you're going to use the system, there's a right, a right and a wrong way to use it. Charlie showed us last year how to use it, and I appreciate that. And he found a job quickly. And I've known other people who have done that. And then there's, of course, the wrong way. It's not a vacation. And that's the way many people are viewing it today. And so here's what we see in the scriptures. Paul says, we wrought with labor and travail. So these folks were working day and night. They were bivocational. Uh, pastors bivocational, other people are bivocational. You have the reality of meeting the need, working a job, doing what is required to meet the need. Now, I'll make, I want to make this clear as well. I am fully supportive if a pastor can be supported by the church completely, that they should be. I, I really, that is my preferred method because I think it helps him focus more and be more attentive to the scriptures, but that's not always possible. So I want to make that clear that I am, that I am, fully supportive of a church being able to give a man, give the, um, the labor who is worthy of his reward, and don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And that's important. That's important. But when that's not possible, uh, we step up, we do what is required, and that's what these folks did. And you don't see this example much anymore. It's becoming more and more rare. And now it's, you know, I want 80K a year with benefits, and I don't I want to work past noon. Then I want 10 o'clock, I want a yoga session. You know, and on and on goes the list of things that people want. And uh, that, by the way, will crumble an economy and a country. And I'm not being a gloom and doomer, but it is what it is. America's on its way out. That's not a question of when, it, of if, it's when. Um, the Roman Empire, okay, one reason it failed is because toward the end of its life, over half of its society was on welfare of some kind okay you say well you know welfare is new no it's been around that was what 400 bc 495 ad uh, the roman empire finally collapsed somewhere around there 496 i think it was and so um it's been around forever and so here's the idea of of not taking something that is not ours and of all people we as christians should never be guilty of this and if we are we ought to get it right quickly right because we of all people should be the example. This is a serious matter. And that's what we see here in the next verse. Look at verse 9. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. They, what are they saying here? This is really interesting. They gave up their rights just to be a good example. Wow, that's something you don't see much anymore. That's self-sacrifice. What he's saying is, as an apostle, and Paul would talk about this again in, in 2 Corinthians, 
uh, when he would say, look, I, I could have done these things. I could have come to you. I could have asked you for support. I could have demanded things because I was an apostle more than these other clowns who were saying they are, right? But I didn't because I was more concerned about you and not yours, not the things you had. And so here's a person, here are a group of people who are giving up their rights, right? The, the workman's worthy of his reward. Paul's missionary team could have said, look, we, we preach to you all day long. We teach the word of God. We're instructing you in the ways of Christ. This is tedious work. We're soul winning. We're, we're discipling. It's not too much if we ask for a couple of free meals a day and a place to sleep. But the missionary team said, look, we didn't ask for things. We did what was necessary to support ourselves. And I'm sure that things were given and that they were given a bed here and there. I don't doubt that happened. But that wasn't the main focus. And their rights were on the back burner and the welfare of others was foremost in their thinking. And that's exactly the heart that you and I should have. If that's the heart you and I have toward people, the likelihood of me being lazy and freeloading from you or taking things that are not mine will be, will be minimized greatly because I'm more concerned about yours, not mine. Look every man on his, not on his own things, but every man also what? On the things of others. Um, the missionaries condemned laziness and freeloading. Look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. It didn't say if any cannot work. Um, you know, I'm all about, the, the, I'll use the example of the military. They have a disability program, one of the most abused programs in America today. And I say that as a veteran, okay? When I got out of the military, uh, we had this guy. He was a, basically a gamer. And uh, he, he had one of those voices that just sounded sleazy and manipulative. And he, he was like, he comes in, I'm the game master, he says. Yeah, uh, he had a, an accent. He's like, I will get you something. Just like that. He's like, you bring me. He says, you bring me your folder, your military record. And he says, and I will search through it, and I will comb it, and I will find you something. And he's wringing his hands the whole time, and I'm just like, this is, like, weird. And he says, if nothing else, I'm going to get you 10% for the rest of your life because everyone here in this room has experienced hearing loss. I'm thinking to myself, who doesn't experience hearing loss? You know, I'm experiencing hearing loss because I'm a diesel mechanic. Nobody's going to give me free money for that. Well, they probably would now. But the idea is it happens to everybody. The body disintegrates, right? And, um, you know, if a guy's a paraplegic, he, his leg gets blown off, his arm gets blown off, and he comes back and he can't do what he used to do, or he gets totally immobile, yeah, by all means, give the guy disability. You know, he, his, his entire life, physical being was sacrificed for his country. But with this whole, oh, I got a bad back because I sat in a chair too long on a de at a desk, on a ship. Garbage, nonsense, sin. And I absolutely, it's one of my pet peeves. Oh, I just hate that. And I worked with so many guys. I, I went to Bible college, all these big, bad Marines. Every one of them had a bad back. Well, it might be because you're 500 pounds. You know, that might be part of the reason. Um, you never exercise, you don't eat right, you sit at your desk all day, and you do absolutely nothing to mitigate the effects. Oh, it's because I was in Iraq sitting at a desk. No, that's not why. Nor should I have to pay for your stupidity. Or anybody should have to pay. Okay? It's sin. And um, how do we get off on that? Oh, he says, <laughs> the missionaries condemn laziness. We're talking about work. Oh, those who cannot versus those who can. So we, if you can work, work. Do what you can. 
do what you can. Work is, not a, work is not a punishment. It is a gift from God. It was given to Adam and Eve in the garden, and we all need it. You know, why is one reason that, yeah, Christ, not having Christ is ultimately the reason people are depressed and in need. But what, what, um, uh, what uh, contributes to that depression? Well, not working. Because every one of us is wired to be doing something, especially guys. They're wired to be out providing and meeting the needs of the home. And uh, women are wired to be the helpmeets and the, the supporters and carers of the home. And uh, we're all wired to have a job and be busy doing something. And when people don't do those things, they're depressed. And I don't have any reason to live. Well, basically, you're right. You don't even have a, a secular reason to live because you're not doing anything. So um, work is not a punishment. It is a gift. Now, work has been cursed, Genesis 3.19, right? By the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread all the days of thy life, right? You're going to sow that ground and till that ground, and it's not going to cooperate because of sin and wickedness. And so, yes, work is cursed just like anything else, but in and of itself, principally speaking, it is not a curse. So we, as God's people, ought to embrace it, and we ought to practice it. Ephesians 4.28, one of my favorite verses. Let him that stole steal no more. But let him rather work with his hands the thing which is good. Why? So he can fill his face and not worry about anybody else. No, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So Chris Bickish, one reason I'm supposed to have a job is so that when a need arises in your life, I can meet that need and I can supply that need. Not because I'm better or cool or independent or just like to show off. No, it's so that I can, at a Christ-like spirit, meet your need and vice versa. And so when we think about working, not only to provide for our own homes, but for the homes of our fellow believers, then that puts a little, a little bit of a different light on the whole thing, doesn't it? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul already warned them that with quietness they were to work and to eat their own bread and to not be freeloading. Freeloading is the idea of taking something uh, and giving nothing in return and not even saying thank you when you take it. That is a, basically a, um, a dictionary definition of freeloading. And what, what a wicked mindset it is for the child of God to have that. And so the missionaries did not have that. They were an example. And then we see the existence of the disorderly. <coughs> Some of their... Um, Sometimes I think maybe they put these uh, um, outlines together in the dark in about 10 minutes because <laughs> some, some of the words they use are, are funny, the existence of the disorderly. But um, I guess they were trying to maintain E throughout the whole thing. For we here, <laughs> do you, ever, you ever wonder that about an outline? It's like, dude, you tried way too hard to make that flow. And you should have just said what you needed to say, you know. That's distracting even. Uh, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. This is the idea of, of completely out of line, out of place, working not at all, but are busybodies. Well, obviously, that's sin. Uh, the idea of a busybody is sticking your nose in other people's business, trying to dig up dirt on people so that you can use it against them. Now, think how abominable this is. They're doing this to the very people that are supporting them and giving them their food when they shouldn't even have to. They're turning around and backbiting these people. Well, that's exactly what you see in society, in our welfare society. In this give-me-stuff society, um, they don't, they're not grateful. They just turn around and say, well, you didn't give me this, and you didn't give me that, and I should have this, and I should have that. They're wanting something more. That is where the human heart will eventually take us. We're all capable of this sin. We're all capable. I mean, have, have you ever taken advantage of somebody when they were kind to you? I know I have. 
You know, oh, they were nice to me. Well, let me see if I can get this. Or they were nice to me. Well, I'm going to say this because I know they're not going to yell back at me or whatever. We've all taken advantage of people. And that's sin. That's sin. Uh, back up just a little bit. Let me put this out there. It's kind of a pet peeve, and I'll try to spend too much time on it. There's a difference between a missionary and a moochinary, okay? And Paul was not a moochinary. And, uh, boy, if there's one thing that gets under my skin, it's when Joe Blow gets up and I'm going to Africa and give me stuff. And that's the, I, that's the mentality. That's the way he comes across. I'm going to Africa, give me stuff. Well, good for you. You know, good for you. Many people have gone to Africa and asked for nothing. Many people go to Africa. You know, God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. And so um, don't feel entitled. It's easy to act like we're entitled to something just because we're in the Lord's work. And I've seen this in missionaries. Um, I've seen it in churches. And I'm sure you have as well. And it's an ungodly attitude. And we ought not to have it. Um, it's easy to get things when you're a missionary. It's very easy. Well, I don't have a lot of money and I really need this. And all of a sudden that shows up. I really need a laptop over that shows up. I really need a new car and that shows up. Now, I'm not saying don't make your needs known, okay? There's nothing wrong with that in the right spirit. But you can manipulate that. Oh, it's easy to do. And you can get up and you can pull people's heartstrings, especially you get the, the old guy who's got a real heart for missions. He, maybe he was on a mission board and you say just the right thing and you put on a sob story and maybe add a tear or tear or two. And boy, the next thing you know, he's writing you a check for something. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. Be careful when, uh, you know, when we have people in this church where who should we support next or should we take out another mission? That's something I look for, a freeloading attitude, a freeloading attitude. And then the people who don't have that, what a blessing. You know, they're just like, I got an unspoken, if you all could pray for that. Turns out the poor guy needs a new truck, but he's too much uh, walking in faith, too much to even make that known. And God provides that truck. You know, and I appreciate people like that. I've got a good friend that way, like that. He was that way, and I really appreciate him. Um, but anyway, back to existence of the disorderly. These people will always be around. So this idea of having to deal with laziness in the church, it's always going to be there, and it's only going to get worse as society becomes more and more lazy and hard work becomes more and more um, put down and uh, unappreciated. So it's not going away. People need to work. No one owes us anything. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 16. Um, <clears throat> And there's a reason I chose this verse. I'll explain it. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Um, boy, that's the truth. The lazy person has more excuses of why they shouldn't work or cannot work than seven godly people who can explain to them from the scriptures why they need to do right. Oh, you don't understand. I've had dis Well, I dealt with this a lot in North Carolina. I have disability... And uh, the person, everybody in, in North Carolina is on disability at 23 years old. Why is that? You know, why is everybody, what's this epidemic of bad backs? You know, this epidemic of, uh, of, of this, that, and the other thing, and oh, my leg and my arm and my head, and maybe it's your brain. I don't know, you know, but it's like, come on. You know, but I dealt with this so much, and it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm on disability, and I can't do this, that, or the other thing. And they have a list of excuses, as long as your leg, why they can't work. But you show them biblical principle, and it doesn't make sense to them. Or at least they tell you it doesn't. And every, their excuses somehow seem to always override scripture. That is a dangerous thing. And if we see that going on in, our, in the lives of one another, we need to check it. We need to police it. And we need to go to that person, and we'll talk about how to do that next week in the right attitude of going with one and two people and, and then uh, bringing it before the church. And if that doesn't work, then going into the process of church discipline and separation. 
But these people will always be around. The sin is always um, there in my flesh and could at any moment rear its ugly head. They were to work in orderliness and care for themselves. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Look at verse 6 with me. So many passages in the scripture concerning hard work, the need for hard work. And again, this is not people who cannot work. This is people who will not work. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Okay. Uh, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Well, just one more nap. Oh, well, I just hit that snooze button. Oh, I'll stay in bed just a little longer. That attitude right there, that mindset. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. Somebody who travels a lot, they've blown all their money on tickets and food and motel rooms. Traveling is expensive. Okay, it wasn't any cheaper back then either. And I want as an armed man. You know, wake up some morning, find that you got nothing. Oh, you know, poor me, I got fired and I just have a bad break and, and so-and-so didn't, uh, the government doesn't take enough care of me and, and uh, you know, I wasn't appreciated at work. No, you're just lazy. When you wake up and that want shows up at your door like an armed man, uh, you can thank no one but yourself. No one but yourself. Let me encourage you with this. You say, well, you know, I've got to use the welfare system or at least tap into it some way. Money's being taken out of my paycheck. And I do understand that mindset. I really do. You know, your tax money is going into the welfare system. And so it's almost like, man, alive, I've got to at least use some of it. Let me encourage you with something. <clears throat> Who's got a bigger shovel, God or the government? Okay? The government takes 38% of my paycheck and gives it to people. Okay? It steals 38%. And I've struggled with this too. It makes me mad when I think about it. Trust me, I'm with you. But I'm always reminded of this truth. That God has a bigger shovel. Given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down. Shaken together. What was the idea? You've got a grain barrel. And you fill that grain barrel. And to make you get all the air pockets out of it. And you shake that bag and let all the grain settle. And you add some more. And you shake the bag and let all the grain settle. And you add some more. That's how God takes care of people who do right. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing shall men give into your bosom. For with what measure ye meet, okay, how you dish out, it shall be measured to you again. Doing right will always, in the end, triumph, though it doesn't seem like it does temporarily. Okay? So please don't let yourself fall into the mindset of, well, I've got to tap into the welfare system in some way because I'm paying for it. Don't do that. Just work hard. If you never have to use the welfare system, then praise God. Let me ask you this question. Um, and, and I'm putting myself on the spot because what you preach, you end up, God makes you practice. But we need to say it anyway. Um, God's grace, it saved my soul, right? It saved yours from hell. Is that not the ultimate miracle? Well, is his grace incapable of enabling you not to use the welfare system? Sometimes we act like it's not sufficient for that or other challenges that arise. Okay. Now I understand I'm in a quagmire of you know, insurance and things are so overlapped. I want to make it clear that I'm not picking on people who have in some way benefited from the welfare system because the truth is I have as well. It's almost impossible 
to not in, to some degree. But I'm talking about going out and chasing it with a mindset of, well, I need to tap into this. Okay? If you can just, if you are willing to just put your faith in the Lord and let his grace sustain you and say, you know what? I don't need that. The Lord is stronger than that. Yeah, I'm not too, pr- I'm not, you know, too proud. Pride's always bad. But at the same time, I want to just let God take care of this. Let's just see how strong God is. Kind of like Ruth, you know? Let's just put our trust under the wings of the God of Israel and see what happens. If we'll do that, do you think God's going to be like, drop him on his head? No. He's going to be like, his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What? To show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So that's just a challenge for us and hopefully an encouragement. Um, The government will tell you, you need this. God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. You need me. Um, Anyway, big difference. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. We'll wrap up with this. Paul commands him to keep doing right. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. I don't care what the world says. In the end, hard work is going to conquer. Doing right is going to conquer. Um, the Christian who's working hard is going to conquer in Christ. It's going to be hard. It doesn't mean we'll never have physical want, but at the end of the day, you'll be able to pillow your head with a good conscience, like Paul could, toward God and man, that I did what I could today and tried to be a good example, regardless of how the government stole my paycheck, okay? Because that's not the end of the story, nor is it the end all and be all of anything. God is the one who gives us our paycheck and lets the government take whatever the government takes. God is the one who provides. And if he takes, if I get less, then God knows I needed less. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Encouragement to the Thessalonians, Paul says, be not weary in well-doing, keep doing right, and do not lose heart. So let's not be freeloaders. Let's not be lazy. Let's uh, keep our eyes on the Lord. And let's remember that we're all an example to other people, particularly in this area of working hard, providing for ourselves and for others, always working so that we can not only meet our own needs, but the needs of those around us. That is God's idea of the welfare system. Only that's a welfare system that actually works, right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. And I pray that you'd help us to apply them, Lord. It's easy to preach these things and more difficult to practice them oftentimes. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to be blatant, open hypocrites. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would open up my eyes to my life in areas of hypocrisy that exist there, particularly in this area of working hard and being an example. And and, I ask, Lord, that you'd help me to get those things right with you. And I pray that you would do a cleansing work in the lives of all of us uh, in this area. And, uh, Lord, that you would guide and direct and help us to keep our eyes on you. We thank you so much that you care for us every day and that you're just waiting to show yourself strong, whatever the need may be. We pray these things in Jesus' name.